Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good, good. That's great. You're doing great. Wow, it must be third service. Come on. <laughs> well, hey, guys, good morning. I'm so excited to be here. I really, really need some help right now from you and a little bit of cooperation to start us out this morning. I'm going to say a name, and what I'm asking for you to do right now is to visualize this person in your brain. Can you do this for me? So I'm going to say a name, and I'm asking you to maybe close your eyes, do whatever you got to do, but I'm going to ask you to kind of visualize this person in your brain to see if you can think of what they look like. Okay, so I'm going to give you a name. First name is LeBron James. What? People start laughing. I just said name. <laughs> can you kind of picture LeBron James in your mind? Some of you might be able to. He's a very talented athlete. Now, some of you guys might be like, oh, I don't like LeBron James, whatever. But, but, but many of you guys can picture him in your brain. If I said the name Brad Pitt, can many of you picture Brad Pitt in your brain right now? So many laughters after names, okay. <laughs> but, if you, but if I say the name LeBron James, many of you guys can picture him. If I, if, I, if I say Brad Pitt, many of you can picture him. It's interesting to me how our minds can actually visualize people. I mean, think about your mom or your dad or if you have siblings, brother or sister. If I, if I were to ask you to visualize them, you might even be able to kind of put a sketch on paper of like what they look like. Because our brain automatically, like I say a name and you can think of them. When I say LeBron James, you might actually picture him kind of wearing a jersey. You might picture him playing basketball if you watch him play. Like your mind automatically can visualize someone. In the same way that we visualize people, I think we also actually have an opinion of people as well. Like it's interesting today, uh, earlier in a different service, I said the name LeBron James and someone went boo. Because we have opinions of people, people we've never even met before. Like many of you, I think most of you, it's safe to say, most of you have never met LeBron James, but many of you can picture him in your mind right now, and you can even share an opinion about him. Same thing about most people in your life, you have an opinion of what this person is about. Well today, we're starting a new series called In the Eyes of the Lord. Because it says in the Old Testament that many people did what they saw right in the eyes of the Lord. And those people were kings of Israel. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four different kings who ruled over the king of, kingdom of Israel. And we're going to look at their lives. So here at LifePoint, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Handed down for generations and generations, for thousands of years. That we actually get to read it. And we get to learn from it today. Even though it was written so long ago, we get to actually read it and learn from it today. So, for the next four weeks, I invite you to go on a journey with us as we look at four different kings who ruled over Israel. Now, I started with that introduction because I believe the person we're talking about today, although you may not be able to visualize him because you've certainly never seen a picture or you never met him before, but this king of Israel has a lot written on him. He has a lot of stories recorded in the Bible for us to read about his life. And so today, as we talk about him, I believe many of you, not, maybe, not all of you, but many of you probably already have a perception of this individual. You probably already have an opinion of what, who you think this person is. Today, we are talking about King David. 
Now, many of you know stories about King David. Now, if you're new to church or you, you, know, you, ha- you don't maybe know a lot of the stories from the Old Testament, that's okay. And I'm going to kind of walk through some of those today. But many of you, I think, enter into this space and as immediately, when I say LeBron James, you have an opinion and you can visualize him. Immediately when I say King David, I think many of you actually have an opinion about him. And so we're going to kind of dive into that. I think we're going to have a little fun with that because I think it's powerful to talk about our perceptions of David. I entitled this sermon, Pursuit Over Production. Because I believe, as Christians, we are called to pursue Jesus over the production of spirituality. I believe that Jesus calls us to pursue him in an intimate, desire-filled relationship. And that is so much more important than producing spirituality or performing religiosity. And so today, we're going to talk about pursuit over production. But to talk about the King David, we find ourselves in an interesting place in history. Because the people of God have traveled around this ancient world. They went in and out of different places, and finally they found themselves in this land that they've always wanted to go to. This kingdom, although doesn't have a king might look kind of similar to every other kingdom in the area, but they profess God as their king. Prophets were sent along the way because they couldn't continue to follow God. Like God gave them laws, that God gave them commands to follow him, and they continually chose to step away. And so God sent prophets and said, hey, I'm going to send this man to remind you. I've given the law to you. I've given you these commands. Don't forget about what I've said. So God sends these prophets over and over and over again. But we find ourselves in history where Samuel was a prophet sent from God to relay messages to the people. Now Samuel, as a man of God, as a prophet sent to the people, he often had to deal with people. People would come to him and complain or they would give him messages and blah, 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 blah. And people went to Samuel over and over again and said, Samuel, we want a king. We want to be like every other nation on earth. Like every nation at this time had a king, had a ruler over the people. Samuel said, no, you don't need a king. We worship God, the creator of the universe. Why would you want some earthly king to rule over you? It doesn't make sense. But they pursued and they pursued and they pursued. They continued to ask Samuel, we want a king. We want a king. And eventually, God gave in. Samuel kept talking with God, and God eventually gave in and gave them what they asked for. They gave him, they get, he gave them a king. Many of us know this king, King Saul. King Saul of the Old Testament was the first king of Israel. And it says immediately, the scriptures say that God regretted giving them a king. It says that you guys asked for a king, and that, it says Saul was a, was a handsome man. He probably was a great leader. He can enforce things. He can move things forward. But the Bible also tells us that he had a lot of character flaws. He had a lot of issues as well. And God immediately regretted giving them a king because, well, they wanted a king, but it was going to cause great havoc across the nation. Then in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, where we find ourselves today, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, 
how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now wait, wait, Saul has been king for not that long, and now God's already instituting a plan for Samuel to go find the next one. Samuel kind of argues back and says, I don't know if I could do that. I'll get in trouble from Saul if I go and find another king. But then it continues. God tells him to go. And so in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, it says, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But catch this, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. What does the Lord look at? The Lord looks at the heart. And that's true of us today. Right? That the Lord does not dwell on the things that you do, but the Lord sees directly into your heart. And this is going to be the pattern for us this morning. And it continues in 1 Samuel 16, uh, verse 10. It says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to, the Lord, to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. They continue to stand. It's like they're, they're pushing things forward. So he sent for him and, and, and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Now, it's interesting to me because the Bible still compliments David on his appearance. Even though just prior to this, it says we will not pick someone based on the appearance. We'll pick someone based on his heart. But it still says that he had handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise up and anoint, or sorry, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This very important time in history is when God is choosing. He's plucking David out of this random place with this random family as a young man to come into the kingdom and rule as a king. This is a very important spot in history. But, in the, but earlier I said that you probably already have an idea of what your perception of David actually is, right? Because if we talk about David and we talk about who he is, Many of you know these stories. Many of you probably know this story that I just read as David getting chosen at a young age. Some of you might know that David went on to defeat the big Goliath. Many of you know that David spared Saul's life, King Saul, when he had a chance to kill him. Many of you know that King David became the great king of Israel. Some of you might know that David moved the ark to Jerusalem, a very important part, significant part for the ark. Many of you know, or some of you might know, that David led many victories in war. He killed thousands and thousands of people. He was a very victorious man. He was very successful. Some of you might know that David wrote beautiful poetry for us to read today. Some of you know that you can actually read that and learn how to live our life in relationship with God today from the poetry that was written so long ago. Some of you might know that David eventually becomes in the line of Jesus, that the Messiah came from the line of David. Some of you might know that David is a very humble, faithful servant of God, that he was chosen like we just read, not because of his physical attributes, but because of his heart. But I think if we're talking about the character of David, we also have some other things to talk about. 
Because the Bible also says that David made some mistakes. David was similar to you and I, and he was not perfect. And the Bible gives us a little look into that. In 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 5, it says, In the spring of the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, that, this is, uh, sorry, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So it's interesting, right, because as we talk about the character of David, there's many parts to this man. Just like you and I, there's many parts to us, there's many parts to David. We can talk about David being this faithful man of God, this great ruler over the kingdom of Israel, but then we can't leave out the part the Bible talks about him messing up. It says that David committed adultery. It later goes on to say that David eventually kills the husband of this woman. David was a great man of God, but he also did some terrible things. But what's interesting is David was not chosen because of what he did. He was chosen because of his heart. It says that. It makes it very clear to us. But what's interesting to me is that we don't often look at the heart. Because if I was asked for a general consensus of an opinion on David, I, I kind of did this this week with some, some friends of mine, and I would ask them, hey, what do you think about David? What would you say in a, in a couple words? And they kind of just list a lot of what we just talked about. You know, he was a great man of God, great Israel, or sorry, great king of Israel. Like, David had a lot going for him. And then they kind of mentioned, oh, like, but he also made some big mistakes as well. But it's interesting to me because I think there are Davids in our life too. Now stay with me here. Davids are in our life, there are those around us who we have seen be faithful to God. We have seen people follow God maybe for a very long time and then make a terrible mistake. Are you following me? We've seen people, we know people, we have friends who have followed God and made a mistake and yet we look at David and say, yeah, he was a great man and he made this mistake. But I often find that the problem is we, when a person makes a, makes a mistake, we then define them based on their mistakes. I think if we're honest, with David's in our life, sometimes we can't overlook the mistakes that are made. Because it's interesting, right? It's interesting. We look at David, great man of God. That's the first thing we say. Faithful, king of Israel, all these different things. Like, David was good. And then we mention, no, oh, but David made some mistakes. But sometimes in our hearts, we have people that we know make mistakes. Maybe it's similar to David or maybe other mistakes. Maybe they sin in some way. And we seem to just outcast them because of it. We certainly wouldn't be in relationship with them. We certainly wouldn't be able to see, be seen in public with them. It's rough because the way that we often act is that we care more about the production of spirituality. So here's what I'm talking about. It's basically, there's the pursuit of Jesus. This is how you invest in a relationship with Jesus. This is what we're called to. Because Jesus came and died 2,000 years ago so that we may be in relationship with him, that we may know him, and that he may transform our life. But, but we have to pursue Jesus. 
But we often get so wrapped up in the production of spirituality that we forget about the pursuit of Jesus. I think where this comes from, for me, is, is I have been around church for a very long time, and, and I think the longer we do church, what I, what I mean is come to church and live in community with people here and you know, do all these different things, there's the trap and there's the danger of falling into the production of spirituality. The longer we surround ourselves in this community, we are in danger of focusing on how we live and how we act and how we look to other people instead of our actual pursuit of Jesus. Because friends, this is what's most important. Above all else, our pursuit of Jesus and our relationship with him is the most important thing. But then we get often sidetracked and we focus on this production of spirituality. So we look at people like David and say, well, if there's a David today, I think many of us would hammer on him. I think if we had a, ha if we had a David today, many of us would outcast him. Many of us, if a David stood on this stage, we would leave immediately. Now, in no way am I ever trying to justify what he did. What he did was terrible. I think we all agree on that. But what I'm scared about is are we so focused on how people act in the production of spirituality that as soon as someone in this spot gets, gets it wrong, as, someone, as soon as someone like David, who's followed God for a long time, makes a great mistake, then we outcast him when we push him away. See, I'm so scared of how church can mess with our brain because we can then focus on the production of spirituality. But I think if our focus is on the pursuit of Jesus, then the most important thing is a person's heart. Not about what they do, but a person's heart. Then we can focus on the individual for who they are. Because what does that person need most in that moment? Think about yourself. When you have messed up or you've made mistakes or you've seen people around you make mistakes, what's the most important part? They are in desperate need of other people to come around them and say, I know you made a mistake, but I love you, and I care about you, and I want to walk through this with you. The longer that we focus on the production of spirituality, the longer that we're missing the pursuit of Jesus. And as I think about church, I want to make one thing very clear is that I love the church. Like, I grew up in the church. My family's in this church. And I'm saying, everyone, like, this is my family. This is where I grew up. And I believe the church to be the hope of the world. The place where Jesus' name is proclaimed every single week. And even more so, there are people then who go out every single week and meet in small groups and have community outside of even Sunday mornings. So I believe so passionately in the church, and that's why I want to go into full-time ministry. Because I want to work in the church, and I want to help ha uh, see God change people's lives. But I'm simply trying to argue that the longer we do church, there is the trap, there is the danger of living in the production of spirituality. Now what do I mean by this, production of spirituality? I think it's easy for us to not be vulnerable. 
It's easy for us to not tell the truth, not tell what's actually going on. If you're in this state, then you don't often talk to people about what the problems are. That you mess up, but I can't talk about this. I can't tell anyone. I can't. Vulnerability is a great sign of production of spirituality. Does that make sense? Because the longer that you live in production of spirituality, the longer that you're not willing to talk about the messy stuff. Because I believe that a church living in a pursuit of Jesus will actually look more messy than a church living in the production of spirituality. That if this church committed to the pursuit of Jesus above all else as the most important thing, then this space is actually going to get a little ugly. Because then we're going to have to start talking about the stuff I don't want to talk about. Because production of spirituality is about trying harder, working harder to cover it up and create this facade of, oh, I'm perfect. I put on the nice clothes for Sunday morning. We're good. But God chose David not because of what he did, but because of his heart. Friends, we're called to look at people's hearts, and we're called to look at our hearts above all else and our pursuit of Jesus. Because here's the interesting thing is God named David with a label that is so cool to me. God named David a man after his own heart. What kind of God do we serve? We serve a God who gives us the Bible as a way to live our life. He gives the Old Testament people a law and a commandment a way to live and to be strict, it seems like. And he has one of his, God has one of his own kings do something that is so against the law, and yet, even after David sinned, he continually calls him a man after his own heart. Because we need to realize that it's not about what you do, it's about your heart. It's not about what you produce spiritually, but it's about your pursuit. Pursuit over production. What's interesting to me is throughout this world, we are told from day one that you are what you accomplish, right? You are what you do. You are what you can create. That this world defines a person as someone who needs to do something. It's all about what you do. It's all about what you produce. I mean, even think about in a, in a work environment. You can tell your boss, I've been trying really hard, but that's only going to go so far. If you keep having meetings with your boss and you keep saying, oh, but, but I'm working, I'm working overtime, I'm trying so hard. But he says, but you have nothing to show for it. Why? Because it's about the production. I don't care what industry, what world you work in, you have to produce. Is that correct? Across all platforms, across all, across all kinds of work. It's about what you produce. I mean, I, I even think in relationships, people don't really care about the pursuit. Like, I start hanging out with someone and they're like, when are you going to ask her out? Bro, like, give me some time, yo. Let me chill with her. Don't speed up the process. I'm trying to pursue her. No, they're, cared, they're caring about the production. They want a label on it. Am I right? Come on. 
Okay, okay, fine. You're happy now? I asked her out. Now she's my girlfriend. I have the most amazing girlfriend in the world. And now people are saying, when are you going to get married? I'm like, dude, chill. Why? Because people don't care about the pursuit. And then people get engaged, and what happens? It's all about the wedding. And people put so much time and energy. Maybe we need a world where people pursue a relationship as much as they pursue the wedding. As maybe, maybe we need to put as much time and energy into the actual person that we do into the wedding. It's all about production. And as soon as you get married, it's like, where are the kids? Guys, stop asking the questions. I'm actually at, like, let's uh, stop. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but the point is our world values production. Am I right? The world values the production. They don't care about the pursuit. They don't care how much time and energy I'm spending investing into my girlfriend. They just want to know when's the date. They don't care about how much time and energy you put into your job and how much you've tried and how much you've struggled. Some bosses don't even give a rip. They only want to see production, and you're gone unless there's production. Our world values the production and the accomplishments that you get. In the same way, we have the trap of valuing the production of spirituality. We say someone is spiritually mature when fill in the blank. Doesn't your mind even kind of go there? Like I say, uh, if you're, you're spiritually mature, our mind can easily go to, well, it's, they start doing these things. But how about a spiritually m- mature person being someone who is like desperately pursuing God above all else? Now here's the thing. I have been using the word production today on purpose. It's intentional. Because what is a production? A production is for the sake of other people. Productions usually have to do with a stage like this. My sister, a couple weeks ago, had this amazing dance recital where she got up on stage and she danced, and she practiced for a very long time. She got on stage, she danced with some other girls. It was amazing, and I went, and I got to watch her dance, and I was, like, super proud of the work she did for me. Isn't that interesting? She did all this work not for herself, but is actually for me as the person who attended and sat in the seats. So Callie, my sister, performed and performed and performed in practice for the sake of showing other people. A production is for the sake of others. Think about art. People do art to then show it somewhere in an art show, in a production, in a performance of some type. Even we go back to LeBron James, and LeBron James practices, and he then goes into this massive arena that's so large, plays with a couple other guys on a court, and the room just fills up with people wanting to watch it. It's a production. It's a performance. It's made for the sake of other people. See, I'm using the word production because we often treat it like a production, We treat it like, oh, we need to become spiritually mature. Okay, I'm going to produce spiritually. I'm going to perform religiously. I'm going to do this certain thing because God's calling me to do that. No, that's just not right. See, I want to change the paradigm for us. That it's not pursuing Jesus and then performing or producing spiritually. There's one step. The one step is the pursuit of Jesus, period. The byproduct is life transformation. 
it does not go from pursuing Jesus to then changing your life. But I believe in your pursuit of Jesus, something amazing will happen. You will have life transformation in your pursuit of Jesus. So I'd encourage you. Can we, as a group of people, commit to changing our paradigm, to thinking about the pursuit of Jesus being the most important thing above all else, that we don't care about the production of spirituality? I want to go as far to say that we can all come to an agreement that we need to push out the production of spirituality. Because that's kind of the whole message, the whole last series that we were in, accidental Pharisee. That Jesus pushed away the Pharisees because they could perform and produce spiritually. They could get their life looking a certain way. But Jesus calls us to be a community that actually is more messy and more ugly because we're vulnerable. Because we're open. And because we are pursuing him above all else. So I'm asking you today, is this something that you can commit to? Is this something that you can try to start thinking more about? And I want to talk for the last minute or two just about kind of my personal story. That in my life, I grew up in the church, and I, I, I worked in the church, I, I attended the church, I lived the church, really. And I think my mistake from a young age was learning to produce spiritually. That was a mistake that I made. Because of this place, I, ch- I started to produce spiritually. And I'm not trying to bag on this place. I'm not trying to bag on anyone in this place. But I'm just saying it's a danger, and I want to caution you in that. That the longer that I am in church, the longer that I need to stiff arm producing spiritually, if you will. I need to stay away from that. Because my life, I realize that it's not about trying harder. It's not about trying to get over the sin and spending all my time and energy doing that. Because that's a big issue. And that's the issue that I found myself in. Is that I wanted to try, try, try on my own, or maybe even sometimes with other people. I want to try to defeat something. I want to try to get over something. I want to try to produce, produce, see what I'm doing, produce, produce. And I had something incredible happen in my life. When I chose to change my paradigm and instead focus on the pursuit of Jesus, it was the most beautiful thing. And in the process, my life changed forever. That I can tell you and I can list off of things, things that I am free of, things that I don't struggle with, things that I can be free of because I have chosen to pursue Jesus. Because as long as we're trying to produce spiritually, we'll actually hit a dead end, dead end, dead end. But as soon as we're willing to focus our time and our energy into pursuing Jesus, all that becomes a byproduct. But it's not for the sake of production. It's for the sake of your relationship with God. So I ask you today, does this pertain to you? Is this something that maybe has to do with every one of us in the room. Because I think as a people, as a church, I want to learn how to pursue Jesus above all else. Not to judge people, but to forgive people and to love people. And I believe this space will be so much more attractive to other people when we can learn to be messy and when we can learn to be vulnerable.